Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. This podcast is part of a series called Listening to the Stories of Healing. Within the series, you will hear stories from community and the very diverse experiences of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and how these narratives have shaped the amazing work that is happening in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities across Australia. Here at Emerging Minds, we like to call it the secret garden, the stories and experiences that non-Aboriginal people don't always get to see or hear. Whilst these stories include sadness and hurts and sometimes can feel uncomfortable to listen to, it is through listening to these narratives that you will get a glimpse of the deep wisdom, knowledge and healing practices of families and communities and understand why our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are part of the oldest continuing culture in the world. Welcome everyone, this is Dana Shen, an Aboriginal cultural consultant working with Emerging Minds. Today we are speaking with Aboriginal elder Millie Penny and Carol Mitchie from Telethon Kids. The Nguluk Kulunga Nguluk Court project aims to bring Aboriginal elders and communities of Perth together with service providers and policymakers to develop culturally appropriate strategies to improve outcomes for young Aboriginal children, zero to six years, and their families. The project focuses on identifying the foundations for raising strong and solid children, the values, priorities and beliefs around child rearing and the factors considered critical to building healthy, confident and resilient children. Welcome Carol and Auntie Millie. Thank you for joining us. It is so lovely to speak with you both today. Auntie Millie, could you start off by telling me a little bit about yourself and what drives you? What are you really passionate about? Life in general, basically. Um, I love life. Um, so, yeah, my name's Millie Penny. I'm a um, senior um, Wajab Yorga. That's a senior woman woman over here. I'm an elder within my immediate family, but in the community I'm still regarded as a senior woman. But I'm also respected as an elder if I say I'm an elder. And I have that endorsement from my um, elders, my aunties um, in particular. I work for 30 years. Um, with women and children's issues. I started out in a um, child placement um, respite agency and then I went on to a mainstream placement agency, went back to studies for a few years, worked in women's refuge a couple of times. Then I worked for family violence programs, um, managed by family violence programs, and for the last 12 years of my working, I worked in Aboriginal um, counselling agency and I worked in a child sexual abuse program and I stayed there for 12 years. So left six years, seven years ago to take on full-time care for a granddaughter. Now I have two, they're six and nine. Don't regret that at all. <laughs> Love the job and still respect the previous clients that I've worked with. And they still come up to me today and say that I helped them through a difficult time. I bet you've really got your hands full with those little ones. Yeah, yes and no, because six and nine you can manage. I also paint, so I've got. I'm starting to get the girls into painting. Very good, actually, and um, reconnecting to my language. I spoke fluently as a child, so it's not hard to reconnect because we have the um, speakers of our language fluently in our family, and I did. Um, and I only. I'm very selective. I still dance, traditional dance, Noongar dance, women's dance, storytelling. 
So that's me in a nutshell. Carol, did you want to tell me a bit about yourself now and what you're really passionate about? Yeah, so I um, would like to pay my respects that I'm on Nua Wajapulja. I'm not Nua. I'm an East Arundel woman from Alice Springs, but I have been here for oh, over 30 years. So I've lived all over Australia within different Aboriginal missions, but I am connected to my mum was a butler from Alice Springs. So I'm connected to all the, all the butler mob, many of us that are, and all, a lot of the other mob up from Alice Springs. So my background is in early years education. I worked oh, 27 years within the education um, department and um, with some of our Aboriginal early years programs, um, the Best Start program in Australia and the Indigenous Parent Factor. And um, now I'm with Palace, I'm working with our, um, elders and community here in Perth. But my passion is, I'm very passionate, very passionate about our families, kids, children, communities, having a voice in how we live our life, which oftentimes we haven't had. So um, whether that be in education or research or wherever, but um, and for our kids to have the strength and to know who they are, where they come from, um, who they're connected to, and to be able to have a voice in this, in here, in, in this country that is ours. Um, but oftentimes we haven't been able to have that voice. So, and I'm and, um, very privileged to be working alongside um, my elders here. And I've always had elders all out through my life, wherever I am in Australia, that have guided me. Because um, my own personal history has had sadness as well as many of our more. So um, I've been very fortunate to have people who have been there for me and, and elders who have guided me. So, yes, a little bit about me. Just reflecting a little bit on what you said, Aunt, many non-Aboriginal people may not understand how you became an elder and how you become an elder. Do you want to talk to me a little bit about what that means and, and what that looks like? I, I think different areas have different protocols. So for I'll speak on my area because that's where I'm an expertise in my area. Just because you turn 60, you're not an elder. Um, an elder is endorsed by your community by your elders and by a selection process. So I fit three of those criteria. Number one, I am the oldest granddaughter within my immediate family. And my mother was the oldest and my grandmother was the eldest. So in those generations of women, I'm there. Um, and also I'm endorsed by my elders within the community, um, related and not related, and then endorsed by my biological aunties. So that's that process. And it's earned. And believe me, I was quite happy um, looking at going down the country and raising some chooks. <laughs> but that, that hasn't happened. And painting, but, you know, I was challenged as a senior woman to start stepping up. You have something to offer the community. You, you have information to challenge, to challenge systems, to challenge government. Um, and why not do it? The chooks are still on the agenda, but not just mm -hmm. yet. So if you're a non-Aboriginal person and you don't know those processes around becoming an elder, what advice would you give to them within their local communities? I think it's very important to know that there are processes and there are protocols and it also comes down to respect. You need to earn respect from your other elders. 
I mean, you know, um, I'm not ashamed to say I'm in my mid-60s, but I have elders still alive in their 70s, in their mid, well into their 80s and 90s, and those ladies are treasures, and we need to sit at their feet and absorb the information because they are the trailblazers that walked before us and fought for us and allowed us to sit here and actually talk to you face-to-face on modern technology, right? Yes, definitely without them. Without them, things might be very different. Absolutely, because remember um, my mother's generation and my grandmother's generation didn't have the opportunity to sit at the table and to say, this is what we need, this is what we would like, and how about um, us coming to um, some sort of agreement for the future of our children? And, I mean, we did have people sitting at that table, but not to the extent that we need to now. As you know, as a First Nations people, we've got major problems with, you know, child protection, incarceration, you name it, health. So we need to start being a voice and continue and continue and continue to be a voice until we are heard on what is the rights of our people and what are the needs of our people. And it's just really powerful sitting at the table with the eight elders that we have working with us with in our the New York Court, the New York Court project, you know, some of them are in their 80s, 84. But for them to, um, doesn't really matter what age, but for them to be able to sit at the table with that life history of being there right through the stolen generations, um, for them sitting there telling that story from a, you can't, nobody sitting across can deny the effect that it's had. But then to be sitting at the table as an elder with, whether it be government heads or departments or CEOs from organisations, um, to say, well, we're coming here to you with solutions that we know that can work. So it's really powerful to have that with the elders sitting there, right there at the table, which they've been sitting at the table for most of their life. Yes, yes. I think it's um, really, really important to listen to and take on board um, lived experience versus theory in a classroom because lived experience is real. And you can see, you can hear, and you can feel the impact of that lived experience, which outweighs numerous times the theory of classroom teaching. So maybe it's time to just step back and go, well, you tell me what works for your community. I think that can work, but it has to be um, Aboriginal driven. Come to the community, not go to a boardroom and bring it to the community come to the community, take it to the boardroom. And yes. then let's do this together yes. in ways that are much more grounded within. And, and that's the that's the other um, great value of having the elders is because they live in the community. They still live all the generations of whatever the community is experiencing at that time. Yeah, can, can I just say that the beauty of being part of the um, Telephone Institute, Nullapulinga, Nullaport program is that it actually gives us a platform to voice our opinions. And our, our opinions and our recommendations are respected here. So the research um, and the findings, for me, what, what attracted me is that it's an international platform and there we, therefore we can get our um, concerns, our recommendations implemented and taken to a wider audience globally, basically. That's amazing. Which brings me on to the next question. Carol... I'm not even going to try to pronounce this, but could you tell me a little bit more about the project? Well, it began in 2016 
um, and as a five-year uh, research project working together with the Aboriginal community within Perth, which is Noongar, Wajabuja, but obviously they're not um, only just Noongar people who live, Aboriginal people who live in Perth, we have from all over, and Torres Strait Islander families as well. And it has been, right from the start, it has been elder and community driven and led. So it was taken um, originally to a large meeting with the elders and um, 54 elders turned up for it. And out of that, elders um, nominated to work within the project and were endorsed by who was there as well. So we had um, nine elders who were, uh, who were appointed. Fortunately, one of our elders has passed on. So we there are eight elders still working on the project and it was split up into four, the north, south, east, west, regions of the Wajapuja area and each of the elders represented those areas so they were basically in groups of two one group was a group of three I was nine then the elders went to the community and it basically um, said where do you want us to advocate on your behalf for your family for your children for your columbus um, so it's, it was from zero to five but as you know anything with our mob it is all encompassing, family, community. Um, so yes, while it is an early childhood research project, so out of that, three priority areas were established so that the community wanted us to, for the elders to engage with um, and to advocate on their behalf. So child protection, early years education, and housing and homelessness. I think the beauty of the research is that the elders have stayed focused, haven't been distracted, the importance of achieving or um, highlighting um, the needs of our community. We came in as nine strangers and we're a very tight elder group with, the, with that same focus. And um, we're starting to get to know um, state and federal politicians by their Christian names, getting to know them personally. So that, that's a massive impact to have, you know. You can work your whole life and not meet a politician, but we sit at, at the table with politicians and they are keen to learn and they are keen to listen because um, everyone needs strategies and especially cultural strategies and cultural protocols. What is very, very important is that we are answerable to the, to the elders in the, in the wider community. So we have one or two meetings. We're yeah, we have a large, we report yes. back to the large Larger group of group. elders, which we have about um, over 130 yes. that are on that. So, yes, it's very, very, very yes. community um, driven and accountable too. Yeah. And it, and while it's a research project, it is quite different than a lot of research projects. We wanted changes. We just didn't want to be written up as papers or we actually, and that came from the community as well. If you go, these, are the, these are the areas that we want you to work for, so we want to, be able to see changes. We want to be able to see that that has been the driving force behind um, anything that we do and the elders do. I know it's a little bit early to say, but I wondered if you could share some of the key outcomes that you've seen as a result of this process. So one of the things is we that has also been is that we work and support our Aboriginal organisations that are working within these fields as well. So um, we have... We work with Noongar Maimo, which is our Aboriginal housing, um, and we've ad the elders have advocated also on behalf of the four Aboriginal organisations with housing organisations within WA. 
at a federal level and a state level to have um, changes there. And we are also starting up a an offshoot from this, an Aboriginal Early Years um, Education Program for the next three years that is going to be totally run by Aboriginal teacher, Aboriginal EA, Aboriginal project officer within the community that it's in. And um, it will be a Aboriginal-led run organised early years education. So we're pretty excited about that one. And we're also working with um, a number of different organisations within the child protection and um, that only really speak to that as well. We've sat with ministers wanting change and giving recommendations and... And challenging. And challenging. And challenging. Why, you know, is there a um, high proportion of Aboriginal children in care? You know, why not put money into the families to support and to um, stop children from going into care? You know, we, we recognise and um, there is a need for care but there all, there's also has to be a reunification within the family. Otherwise, you just it's submissions all over again, losing your language, losing your identity, losing cultural practices and protocols, and um, losing your, the kinship and your identity. So it's very important. Aunt, what's it meant for you to actually see the last 30, 40 years and to now actually sit at the table and have that voice? Look, I'm not part of the stolen generation. But I did marry a person who was part who, who was taken at the age of three. And I can't tell the story because it's not my story. But I can say that I grew up in a family. Well, we were poor, you know, but we, we, we stayed together. We connected. Um, we're very, very close. We have our language. We have our traditions. And I'm, I'm talking about we have our song lines. We have our dance lines. And we have our um, cultural foods. and my husband um, has lost all that. So he's regaining or has regained language and cultural practices. And um, it's just unfortunate that that takes away a person's identity, really, really takes away, especially a child, because at the age of three, one would think you'd be part of a, a big family and um, that's your formative years, zero to six. So if you've lost the grounding of who you are, then who are you? Have you seen a change in how governments value Aboriginal elders' voice now? I believe so. You know, a step in the door is better than the door still being slammed shut. Yes. So we're optimistic. Might not take our generation, but our generation has a voice. The next generation will stand up and have a stronger voice. And then the next generation hopefully will have an even stronger voice so that changes are um, made. So... Not only are you showing that for your grannies, but you're also modelling that for the community as well. It has to be community focused and share that knowledge, share your language. We don't own that language. That's ancient language that was there before we were born, before our parents were born. Share it, hand it on, start reclaiming who you are. Language is is part of your identity and we don't own it. Leave it all behind. You can't, you know, you take it to the grave and it's useless. Leave it all behind and let the next generation grow with it. Carol, what's it meant for you personally to actually be able to honour the voice of elders in this? It's just such a privilege to be able to work with the elders and sit and listen and hear their expertise and be able to be a small part in opening some of those doors so they can sit at the table. I can't really put 
the words to the how much um, that has meant to me. And I guess one of the um, indicators of that also and with the elders is so we coming to the end of it, it's very rare that you get a five years within any project or any program. So that was that was a privilege in that, getting that. But mm-hmm. saying to the elders, you know, we're coming to the end of our five years, but we have an opportunity to continue this for another year. And we've also got three other projects coming out. It will be another three years. And this is how we wanted to keep going. But obviously also realising that the elders only signed up for five years. I'm sure there's other things that they would, well, in the Wadula world, you know, you're retiring and going to do what you want to do. But our world, our, we live and breathe it every day of our life. And from the day one of five years ago to now, asking the elders, do you want to still be a part of this? They are just mm-hmm. as passionate, committed, five years down the track, which is five years in their life, you know, 84, 85, and still wanting to sit the table and be part of this. They want to be engaged with seeing change for our community and families and children. And, you know, it's that people go out and go, oh, I'm not really part of this. And so but the elders have said, no, we're, if you're willing to come back and sit at the table, we're willing to sit through and work through this, which we have for those who've wanted to do that. And that's, that's pretty exciting. It is, it is. And then to see appointment of people on board mm-hmm. that are there mm-hmm. to make, have a voice for all of us and make a change. So, yeah, um, and at the end of the day, we want to see systems change. Systems have got to change. And I guess it's the other powerful thing for me is just being able to know in some way that we can still, we, do, we can do this as a community at times without all of the system that says, you know, you have the permission to this, you have the permission to that. Our kids are growing up. Um, a lot of them growing up strong, they know who they are, they know who their families are, they know where they're from, they're learning their language, they know which country they're standing on, they're getting educated in both worlds and they're coming out with a voice and they, they've got the backing of their elders and also being able to work alongside the elders, which that's been exciting as well. It, it, it is, it is. And I think times are changing. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, politicians, state and federal, that are pro-Aboriginal and um, want to listen and want to do something and want to change, even if it's a tiny little chink in the big armour, you can still notice a chink. Yeah. And so they're coming and knocking the door and going, help, we do yes. want help. So we're saying, well, and the elders say, yep, if you want help, what kind of help do you want? Because we've, we've sat at the table as well when you've said that and you kind of come in with your <laughs> preconceived ideas. And so you know, if you really want help and to walk together and work together, it does mean there's going to be some hard conversations. Yes, and the beauty of this is that um, we're not tokenistic. We are genuinely, genuinely concerned with our community and we need to be because you don't stand up, the next generation could fall. And so we need to continue with that pushing for changes. Uh, Do you want to tell me a little bit about what it looks like for children to grow and be strong and healthy and thriving in culture? Look, children need um, a safe home an education, and they need to know who they are. So we need to, I mean, I do it. I do it with my grandchildren. I take a bush, us women paint up with ochre, and um, we'll dance on land. And the kids, the little ones are watching, and they know who they are. We don't want to get caught up with being ashamed of being Aboriginal, which could happen, which has happened. So we need to bring in the re-emergence of identity 
and, and be proud of who, who you are. Be proud that you're Aboriginal and know that you're Aboriginal and speak your language. And our children have a right to early education. So I can use my own as an example. I have Miss, she just turned six, and she um, accessed daycare, kindy. She's in um, preschool and she can read and write. And that is massive for our people. And this is a story to say why it is important to get your children off to daycare, get your children off to kindy, because if you just wait until grade one, they'll already be on the eight ball and it's so hard to catch up. And do teachers have the patience for our kids to catch up is another question. So it's important for us as a community also to start taking ownership and to start thinking about our children's future, not the here and the now, but the children's future. That was one of the initial questions that we asked community within the research, and the community was really big on that, on the good things, the strong things that they saw as wanting and acknowledging as um, growing our kids' stuff strong. And... Oftentimes, any services or government agencies go into work for community, they always pick out the things that, are, that aren't working. So let's focus on that. And the community here was like very strong on going, we want these good, strong things to be acknowledged. So, and just, well, Annie Millie's um, already spoken and acknowledged a lot of them. So um, elders are important within the community. Um, having our community is important. Education, having a strong identity, language, connection to country, culture, strong mothers and female role models, and the same with our men, fathers and male role models. Sharing and caring for our mob, trust, feeling safe and secure and loved. Our kids growing up living in two worlds, knowing that they have to do that, where they fit with that. Um, respecting and acknowledgement of our Aboriginal ways and um, culture and health and wellbeing. So the community was really strong on focusing on recognising those strong things within and working on that and how do we have programs that come out of those strong things to build up. So that's for our education um, program that we're going to, early years education program that we're going to start um, with the families is built basically around all of that as our models. Could you please tell us your concerns or views regarding the increase of Aboriginal children in the child protection system? Overall, we're looking at um, the state's statistics on Aboriginal children that have been removed. I think what I would like to see is that let's have a look at the areas of proportion that children have been removed for. We have 14 nations of Noongar people in, in our region. How many children are taken from each of those regions? Because remember that we're, we're a minority in our own country, in our own community. So our numbers will always be higher because of that. So break it down and then we'll know exactly how many children are in care, where these children come from, what are these issues, and then work individually with um, the departments or the powers to be. For example, I came into, you know, this is a state hospital for children. I came in here last week and I deliberately went up to um, a couple of ladies with um, three little children. I knew that wasn't their children. I just said, oh, excuse me, are they, um, you've got to be bold sometimes and the grey hair gives you that licence. <laughs> so I just said, excuse me, um, are they um, family or are they um, fostered? And she said they're fostered. And these children were from Warburton, right out in the desert, Kalgoorlie region. And they're here based in, in Perth. 
So they were open to conversation and there's a connection, national connection with Aboriginal people. And the little one, the little three-month-old baby who never met me and met, saw me before in tiny little life, grabbed it onto my hand and wouldn't let go. She just held tightly. And the two in the prams were um, could see the connection, the Aboriginal connection, this, you know, that spiritual connection. Um, they were they're they're away from their lands. And I just sat, we just talked, just sat and talked, myself and my um another elder. And this morning I came in and um, little things like this do um, make a difference. When Carol came down to, to collect me from um, the reception, I was talking to an Aboriginal woman who was telling me her story, who her family story was and that. So there's always that connection. So we need to break down those um, high number and I think we'll get little bits of little bits of little bits of little bits and it doesn't look so daunting. You know what I mean? Might be 20 from Yungarbuja, might be 20 from Yamaji's, might be 20 from, yeah, and then it's not so big. Yeah, so that, uh, that's why every time it's taken out of community, it mm. just, if you actually, yes, believe it with, and community is a part of making that restoration and healing and making it work in ways that work within family and culturally, but that's not to say that sometimes, yes, our children do need to be removed from situations. But there always has to be connection of how do we heal it as a community? How do we make this better? And, yes, when you do break it down um, within communities and families, it, it's much more doable. It's not this big, scary number. It doesn't have to be that big. And that's where our Aboriginal organisations need to be able to be supported and resourced to be able to do that, wherever in Australia that is. And that is where more has to be put into being able to do that and our our elders and our young people who are coming up and our workers who've worked within these fields under different systems and have got the knowledge and the expertise and also seen how it doesn't work because they do work, live in the two worlds of being able to be resourced to make it happen within community it's got to be a plus and a advantage for us how to do it but yeah it doesn't have to be always put into this big scary number of we can't do this and everyone goes oh because we can't i really appreciate your wisdom i could sit here all day listening to you so we're about to finish off soon but i wondered aunt did you want to tell me what your hopes are for the children within your community I think that um, we really, really, really need to reinforce identity and pride. Let's say, you know, you know, I'm a little nini nunga york nini nunga not. I'm a proud little nunga boy or I'm a proud little nunga girl. And language comes, language is free. Give it out. Sit down and teach. I'm, I was talking to Miss, um, she'll be two next month, talking nunga to her yesterday. And um, that's all we can do. And keep challenging the system, keep just challenging. And um, younger ones coming up are looking, listening and watching and learning and they can pick it up. And their gener this, this next generation is going to be um, more educated to challenge the system. So that'll keep continue to grow. And I'm very proud that we have Aboriginal um, representation in state and federal parliament because um, I, my philosophy is I don't care who they are, vote for them because they're Aboriginal. They'll always be outnumbered, but you've got a representative there. Oh, my hope is that 
they grow up and their next generation in the within Australia in a in a country that acknowledges who they are, the country they're on, what they have to offer, and in all of it, language, um, knowledge of country, of spirituality, of the art, story, and community, and just all the strengths that 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 offers and that they grew up in a country that acknowledges that, that holds that and seeks them out for wanting that, to be a part of that and to know that that whole history of, of the 50,000 50, years of being here has got something to offer and they have something to offer within that and for that to be recognised and just celebrated and enjoyed and being able to live together with that, with that being a part of who they and they and they have some they have strength in that and then to um, live that and to be able to beat that and be able to bring their families and kids children up with in a in the country that that is good for them and we do we have lots to offer our kids have lots to offer they are bright they are full of life I want I want them to be able to feel that they they fit in with them they don't have to hide. They don't have to be a part of systems that that don't build on those strengths. Can I just conclude by saying that my um, philosophy and sayings in the community lately is that, has been for the last couple of years, is they can't deport us, cannot deport us anywhere in the world. This is our land, this is our budget, this is our, this is our home. It always was, always will be. Um, I'm excited because uh, just at our school, um, which we've been involved in, little public school down the end of our street for the last 23 years you know and our we've always been the minority there but our 20 Aboriginal kids out of the 300 are running the NAIDOC assembly and standing up there saying to everybody this is my family they're going to point out in language where they're from who they are and what this and stand there tall and proud and going yep this is it that's good and that's empowering yeah. to our next generation. Yeah, definitely. Without them, we wouldn't be here. It could have been a lot different for many of us. Thank you for joining us in our podcast series, Listening to Stories of Healing. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.